Let there be. How many normally come to the 9 o'clock service? How many normally come to the 1045 service? How many are from the Spanish service? You know, they're the only one that cheered of the three. You know, the church is alive, and great things are happening and, uh, in our church. And this morning, we, we want to celebrate together. We just wanted to all be together. We, just a couple months ago, just thought, what if we could just bring everybody together for one gathering? I mean, we, you, know, it's, it's, we are, you know, we do church every Sunday, but sometimes we can get together, maybe have a little barbecue afterward. Um, with some bacon-wrapped uh, hot dogs, just maybe, something like that, and cookies and all that, that we can, we can kind of have a fun time and celebrate what God is doing. And God has been doing some really wonderful things. We have, uh, we have seven people that are going to be baptized later on. And, uh, and then um, we, uh, we, we have some... Great stories, and uh, this summer, some things that God did in some people's lives and so forth. And so, um, we just chose a few of them because uh, we would probably we could probably do the entire service just testimonies, which would, wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, I think you'd probably enjoy that. But we chose just a few of them, so um, we're going to show those to you right now.
I love that. Socially awkward, but spiritually awesome. Sometimes it is that way, isn't it? I got an amen right there. <laughs> Unstoppable. I'm not talking about, about the child. I'm talking about the message. I want to take you to um, Matthew chapter 16. And uh, we're... I want to look at it, one of the most important portions of Scripture, um, both for each of us personally and for the church as a whole. And I'm just going to read it uh, through first, and then, um, and then let's see how we can unfold that in our teaching this morning. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, you would help us, Lord, to see all that you would want, Lord, for us. When, when you had the Holy Spirit uh, through Matthew pin these words for our benefit, I pray, God, that we would get all that you want for us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it starts off with this, we, we pass things up sometimes, right? It starts off with this phrase, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And it's kind of like you, you'll probably pass over that and just kind of move on. But it's actually extremely important to the understanding of this text. It's really, under, uh, to understand what Jesus was saying, you have to know the geography. And I'll show you why in a minute. Um, Jesus was, um, he was with the disciples, they were on the, um, on the uh, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And then it says that he, he had to take them to Caesarea Philippi. That's about a 16-mile trek. Now, if you can get in your car and go 16 miles, it's no big deal. But when you have to walk it through the desert and up the hills to the mountain, that's a little bit of a extra work. And that's what they, they were doing. Jesus was taking them on this trek 16 miles for a moment, for an, a, a time where he was going to share with them and they were going to see something, I believe, that would, would you know, be the, the impetus of their, their life and ministry and their future as they would be the, the leaders of the church of, of God. And so it says, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say 
I the Son of Man am. Now, he asked them in the context of as they arrive at Caesarea Philippi. And let me give you a little bit of, of where he- they were headed and why Jesus, and why Jesus brought them there. It, it was originally um, the, this, this area at the base of the, the largest mountain in Israel or in the region, and that is uh, Mount Herod. And uh, the, 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 um, the mountain range that, uh, that was on Mount Hermon, the mountain range that they went to is made of granite. It's 7,000 feet high. I've been there quite a few times. It is um, the area that oversees, it's a Golan, called the Golan Heights, and you probably heard of that in the news as Israel annexed the Golan Heights because it was the place where the, the, Syria was, would be launching their missiles sometimes into Israel. It's a high, high point. But where he took them is at the base of that mountain. And there's a cave there. And, and this place is, was called Caesarea Philippi. It originally, Herod named it Caesarea. Now, he named it that after Caesar. Caesarea or after Caesar. Because he wanted to, you know, get some kudos from Caesar. He wanted to, you know, he wanted to impress Caesar. And so he named it Caesarea. But the Jews didn't like it. They didn't like it even being called Caesarea. And so they named, named it uh, Philip, Philip's Caesarea. Caesar, you know, Philip's Caesarea. And and when they did that, of course, it became Caesarea, as we read it, Caesarea Philippi. They didn't go there. The, the Jewish leaders would never go there. And the reason they wouldn't go there is because that particular place was a place of false gods and false worship. Uh, I, I've been there. In fact, when we go on our Israel trips, we usually will go up to that location. And there's a cave. And the way it works is the snow on the top of the mountain will melt and the water will go through the cracks in that massive mountain, uh, that, that massive granite mountain, and they'll flow through the cracks and finally get into, like it goes uh, down and, and has exit points toward the end. And the main exit point of the water that's flowing is this cave. And so... When for, you know, for thousands of years, or the, as people would come there, they would see that the water flow from there and, and would come into the river, at the Jordan River. And so the Jordan River starts at this cave at Caesarea Philippi. And so worship, people started, you know, coming up with their gods. And one main god, false god, is the god Pan. And the god Pan was, is interesting because he, he's the god of fertility and he's the, the god of, um, you know, of, of, of abundance. And so they, they see that this is a gift from God, Pan, come, the water coming down into the Jordan River. So they built a, a temple there and they built a, a statue to Pan. Now Pan is a half man, half fish god. 
And so at this mountain, at this base is of Caesarea Philippi is this cave and, uh, and this, this place. Now we have a couple of pictures. Show the, the first one if you would. It's uh, kind of hard to see, but you can see water at the base of that cave. Now, during, during uh, the seasons when the, water, when the snow's melting, that water will rise up. It rises and it goes down. And go to the next uh, slide. This is a little bit, bit of difference. And you can see the water flowing down in this very... Um, and, and as the waters flow, that's, that's how it started. Now, there was a temple built over that. And Jesus takes them on this long journey with his disciples to that cave. And this, the ancient roots of this cave, this cultic ancient roots, um, all the people that worship false gods would come here. Show, me, show the next slide. Now you can see these little um, cutouts all along the, the, the sides. They're, they're also in the cave and they go a little bit further down. And this, these had other false gods. So people had their different false gods, they'd bring them there. And it was considered by the Jewish leaders that this is a place, this is an unclean place. Why? Because there's probably a whole lot of demons hanging around in that location all this false worship. It was perverted worship. They would come and they would make sacrifices to Pan. They also, at different seasons, would worship God with sexual immorality right there in the temple. This is a, a perverted, sick, ungodly, demonized location. And Jesus brings his disciples there. No religious leader would do that. Jesus would oftentimes do that kind of thing. You know, a, a leper would come and, and, and crying out, and Jesus goes over and lays hands on the leper and, and heals them. Now, no other Jewish leader would do that because that would cause them to become unclean by touching a leper. In fact, they would have to go around town saying, unclean, unclean. They, they, they had to, to, to be cleansed themselves after touching a leper. But Jesus would do things, he would touch things that others wouldn't come close to. And Jesus brings his disciples to this place. And, and just for kind of context, that place is known as the gates of hell. As the gates of hell. It's called the gates of hell. Now, he brings them there and he starts off by asking a question. The question he asked, first of all, is a very important question. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Who do, pe who do people say that I am? And, and, and they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Now, that's a weird thing. Jesus is six months younger than John the Baptist, Right? John the Baptist is older than Jesus. He was his cousin. You know, how can he be John the Baptist? Others say that you're Elijah because there's prophecy that says before the Lord Messiah comes, of course, the second time, 
Elijah will arrive, and we read that in the book of Revelation, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. See, people who don't want to bow to Jesus as their only savior will come up with a lot of wrong views about who Jesus is. They'll say things like, well, he's a really good man, or he's spiritual, or he's a, maybe he's a prophet, or he's a wise teacher. But Jesus is so much more than that. He's the son of the living God. He's God in human flesh. He's the savior of the world. He is the only savior. And so people think about Jesus and uh, it's important what people think about Jesus, right? Isn't that important that how people think about Jesus? But it's not the most important question. There's a more important question than what do people think about Jesus and who he is. And that's the second question Jesus asked. He said to them, but who do you say? Because that's the most important question. Who do you say Jesus is? Is there a question more important than that? Than who you know Christ to be? That's the question, and he brings them 16 miles, puts them in front of the most wicked place, the most demonized place in the region, probably the place where the spiritual, the, the, the spiritual um, hierarchy of, de- of demonic forces is resident, he brings them there to ask them a question. Because after the question comes the commission. And he asks them the question, who do you say the Son of Man is? That's the question. It's a question today that has to be asked and it has to be answered. And how we answer that question determines our destiny. Our eternal destiny and our destiny in life. Who is Jesus? Too many people have a false view of Christ. Too many people who claim to be Christians have a false view of Christ. And Jesus asked the question, and Peter, Peter has the right answer. And Peter's response is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, some people actually believe that Jesus Christ, that Christ is his last name. That Jesus is Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. The word Christ is the word we have for Messiah, we have the word for the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ, it means Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the anointed one. And for From the beginning of creation, from the beginning of mankind, God placed in the heart of different ones uh, and gave the promise throughout the scripture that he was going to send a redeemer, a savior, one who would pay the price for our sins, and he would be the Messiah, the Christ. And, And as we would follow through the history of the Hebrew people, we would come to promises over and over again about who he would be. 
as far back as, um, as Job, who, who um, said, you know, I know my Redeemer lives, and in that day he will stand on the earth. He's coming. Someday he's coming. I don't know when he's coming, but someday he's going to be here. Someplace, someday he's going to stand on the earth. He's the Redeemer, because I need a Redeemer, and you need a Redeemer. We all have fallen short. We need someone to stand in the gap for us, someone to stand before God on our behalf, Because if we stand before God on our own failure and our own rebellion and our own, you know, our our own unrighteousness, we're in trouble and we all stand in that state without the righteousness of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all our sin. And so here he is saying, that's who he is. That's who you are. When Jesus came to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. They were looking for him, but they missed, often, many people missed him because they didn't recognize who he really was going to be. And so Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That just means Simon, son of Jonah. Or Simon, son of John is also the way it's translated. It says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. How many of you here, your answer, you know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. How many of you know that? How many, yeah, how many can you think, how many of us can thank the Father for revealing that to us? Huh? Thank you, Lord, for letting us in on it, for us knowing. Thank you, Lord. How many can be thankful that somebody shared the gospel with you, whether it was a parent when you were a child or it was somebody that that stood up and said, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the only way. See, all of us, if you've come to Christ You heard it from someone else. Someone else shared the message. Someone else proclaimed the truth. And you heard it and you received it. And you are saved because of it. You're on your way to heaven. You're you're victorious. You You have overcome your sin because of Jesus Christ. Even though there might be life battles, you are ultimately the victor because of Jesus Christ. And so... Jesus answered and said, "You are blessed are you. Blessed are you. If you have come to that conclusion, you're a blessed person. Now, if the person next to you on either side was one of those who said, yeah, that's me, I believe that, why don't you just turn to them and say, you're blessed. You are really blessed. You are a blessed person. You know how blessed you are that you know that truth? You know how blessed you are that you are saved? And he says, and I also say to you, Peter, and under, know this, that Peter's name, Peter, mean, the, the, the Greek word, Petros, means little rock. He says, I, and so you could say, he's, he, he, says to, he says to Peter, I say to you, little rock, upon this massive rock, this great rock, rock, 
on this rock I will build my church. What rock? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the rock. Jesus is the rock. Jesus, everything is built on the rock, Christ Jesus. All, all is built on Christ Jesus. In the Psalms, it says, in Psalms 118, 21, the psalmist says, I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. You have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I was kind of expecting a cheer when we said cornerstone. <laughs> the chief cornerstone. See, the stone that the builders rejected, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is this was the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. See, when the stone came, the people rejected him. But he's the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation stone. You know, the chief cornerstone is the cornerstone that everything else is built. That what they do is they take a cornerstone and, and it, it'll be at a 90 degree angle so it's perfect. That way, they lay it first and then they run everything off of it to make sure that the building is straight and square. It, you, you, if, if you don't lay it on the cornerstone, the building's gonna be sideways and it's not gonna be a, on a good foundation. So he's the chief cornerstone. First Peter 2, 7 says this, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also as living stones are being built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. You believe in him? Listen, you are victorious. You've already won. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But those who are disobedient, the stone, the, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So everything is built on Jesus Christ. We built everything on Jesus. And then he said, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, this is why, this is why Jesus walked 16 miles with his disciples to take him to a location. To take him to the place, he, he takes him to hell's door. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I, the religious leaders are afraid of the gates of hell. Because that's what religion does. Religion is weak. That's why as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not a follower of a religion. We're a follower of a person who conquers all. Who is undefeated. Listen, he, he, he's, he's undefeated. Kind of like USC so far. 
undefeated. Jesus, Jesus comes and the gates, he takes them there and he says to them, the gates can't hurt you. See, gates aren't, they're not offensive. You know, they're not an offensive weapon. You know, no one says, take a step further and I'm going to hit you in my gate. Right? It's not an offensive weapon. Gates are meant to keep people out of set areas. And Jesus is saying, see, he's not saying that the gates of hell, that means that the gates are going to attack you. And so you're okay because, don't worry, the gates of hell are not going to overcome you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the gates of hell can't stop you. You can enter right into the, to hell on earth. You can, hit, you can enter into the most hellish places. And the light, the light will dispel darkness. Because darkness doesn't spell, dispel light. And the church is not to be afraid of, of the darkness. The church it has to understand that it is an offensive force that, that overcomes darkness. That defeats darkness. That's why Paul could go into, you know, he could go into Mars Hill and, and confront the, the darkness of the intellectuals. Or he could go, uh, you know, to the, the, um, the temples uh, of false worship and he could preach the gospel. Why he could do that? Because he understood the gates of hell can't stop me and I'm going to go right through the gates of hell. Because that's what the church is meant to be. But for too long and too often, the church is, you know, it's, it's on retreat. We're retreating. I'm, I'm hearing so many people like are so afraid because they, they see our culture, t- you know, taking bad turns. They listen to the news and go, oh, how evil and things are going and oh no, what's going to happen? And oh, it's just getting so bad. We're meant to go through those gates. We're meant to be the ones who who go into the darkest places and see people transformed and rescue people from hell. That's what we're meant for. That's what you're meant for. Do you understand how powerful you are? No, you don't. You don't. That's the problem. We're we're too afraid of things, not recognizing that Jesus has said, no, don't you understand? The church is not to be on defense. We should never be on defense. We're always trying to defend. Stop worrying about defending and start taking ground. Start going forward. Start voicing the truth. Start proclaiming the message. Start praying with boldness and taking ground in Jesus' name. Stop worrying about who's going to move in next door to your, you know, your house or your apartment and start praying that, you'll, that God will send somebody that, that is in the middle of hell that needs Jesus. See, that's what we need. We need to take it. It's, stop, looking for, uh, stop looking for a job 
that you know that you can go to that all they're all Christians there so you can kind of have your your little love fest and prayer meeting and start asking Jesus to send you someplace where there's a bunch of people on their way to hell because they need the light because we're not on the defense we're in the offense And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. I'm going to give you keys. I was going through my key drawer. I have a key drawer. It's all my, I, it's, anybody else have that? Uh, you know, like a, uh, you have some place where you have all these keys that you don't know what they go to. You know, you have keys there, and you, you know that there are four locks somewhere, and you don't know, and you don't know if the lock is even around anymore, but you, you have these keys. So I was going through them. Some of them I recognized, I threw them out. There are no, because what good is a key if they don't go to anything, right? And what good is a key if you never use it? But Jesus has given us a key. Folks, he's given us keys now, I thought I'd do a whole teaching on keys, but we're not going to. We don't have time for it. But he's given us keys. The name of Jesus, for instance, is a key. We pray in Jesus' name. The word of God is a key. We use the word of God and we quote it and we proclaim the truth of the word of God. The Holy Spirit is a key. He empowers us. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Agreeing prayer is a key. When we pray agreeing as touching anything, we know he hears us. The blood of Jesus Christ is a key. And we can go on and on and on. I was looking up this just to see what people said about the keys. And, 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 I, and I found some say, five keys to the kingdom, seven keys to the kingdom, ten keys to the kingdom. I don't think anybody knows how many keys there are to the kingdom. There's all kinds of keys to the kingdom in the word of God. And God gives us a key. But the number one key, the most important key, is he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And it all starts there. It all starts there. Folks, we're, we're in a kingdom, a realm, a powerful battle is going on. And we will prevail because the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. You know what I'm asking God to do? Is, I'm asking God as the to change us from being snowflake Christians. You know? And start getting tough. Start getting courageous with our faith. There's no reason for us to back down or be on defense. Not everybody's going to accept. In fact, when you proclaim and you stand strong for God and you proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, there's going to be people that will never say yes and there'll be people that will, you know, will, will revile you and persecute you because Jesus said it would happen. But you don't give up. You know why? We already know who's going to win. We already know. I, uh, I have several sport teams I've mentioned that I follow. And every once in a while, I'll, you know, I can't be, I can't watch a game. I don't watch most games anyhow, but there'll be a big game, big important game. And 
Have you ever done this, some of you? Um, you go somewhere and you know people are talking, you go, don't tell me that score. Don't tell. And you can never do with it. It doesn't, never works. Always some gap, somebody's going to blab out the score. And you know who, you know, the game is. And now if they blab out the score and my team lost, I never watch it. Even if I recorded it. But sometimes when I know my team won, I'll actually kind of do a fast forward through the game, you know, but I'll still watch to see some of the, the, the highlights of their win because, you know why? Because I know they're winning. Ron Mel tells this story, and I'm going to close with this. Ron Mel tells this story um, right about when he, in his book, he wrote about, and some of you will remember this, I'm going back in history now, in history. Um, Monday night football before satellite. Going way back in history. And they used to have these games, right? And they would, the game would be on the East Coast, and it would start at like 6 o'clock, which means 3 o'clock on the West Coast. So what they did is they broadcasted on the East Coast at at 6 o'clock then, but they would wait until 6 o'clock on the West Coast. So the game would be over by the time the West Coast sometimes, or partially over sometimes, before the West Coast would get it. And Ron Mel had a group of guys that they would meet and watch the football game together on the West Coast. And, and sometimes they would even like bet who's going to pay for the pizza, you know, that, for that night, who would win for the next time. And, and he, he had the ability at his house to watch the game on the, the East Coast. So his buddies didn't know this. So he would be driving and by, you know, and, and, and he, would, he, he already knew and when he got there. So he's watching the game and go, you know, I think this guy's going to kick that ball wide left. I can just kind of, I can kind of, I just, I just sense that, you know. I don't think they're going to get in the end zone on this one. I don't think it's going to work or, you know what I'm saying? And and he, would, and he would bet and always win. And they never understood why he never had to buy dinner. <laughs> See, Jesus has already seen the end of the game. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We win. Game's over. We're just watching the reruns. <laughs> you understand, church? There's never a reason to feel defeated as a Christian. Never. I don't care what the news says. I don't care what, you know, what the, 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 the attack is, what, what the words are, what all of that is. There's never a reason for a Christian to be or feel defeated we are more than overcomers. We are winning. Yes, we are. We are. <clears throat> so let me close with this. I want to pray. And this is how I want to pray. I want to pray two things. One, I want to pray for our confidence to rise up in each and every one of us. I want you to start thinking like Jesus wanted his disciples to think. He took them on that long walk. Maybe some of us need to go on a walk with Jesus so he can tell us what he was telling them. 
You don't have to be afraid of the gates of hell. All the religious leaders want, won't come near this place. You can walk right through the middle of it. Because he, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And I pray that God will give you more of a confidence in proclaiming and being the person that God wants you to be. Some of us need to start walking our neighborhood and praying and, and declaring in the name of Jesus breakthrough. Some of us need to do that in our workplace. Some of us need to stop, you know, cowering and start standing strong. You're a victor. Even if you don't realize it yet, you are. And I pray also for those of you who have not received Christ yet, today could be your day. You could say yes to Jesus right now. So Father, I ask that Lord, Lord, right now you would touch Lord, those who are distant from you right now, God, that today could be their day. And if you, I'm going to ask everyone if you would bow your heads in prayer. And I want to just say to those of you, say that maybe for you, you have just been, you've been distant from God. Maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you've kind of just cowered down and you're just playing defense. You're just hiding out. And you know that it's time for you to stand strong for God. This is the time and the moment for that. And some of you who've never given your life to Jesus, this would be the time for you to do that and say, Jesus, come into my life. So I want to pray for you. First of all, I'm going to ask those of you that say, you know what, I want Jesus Christ in my life, and I need Jesus in my life, and I realize that now, and I'm going to ask Jesus to be in my life. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to know who you are. I want to pray for you. Would you lift your head and let your eyes meet mine if that's you and say, I want Jesus in my life. I want to accept him as my Savior. Okay? God bless you. Okay, you too? Okay? God bless you. You too? Okay. Others? Okay. And you too? God bless you. Okay. You? Okay. God bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite us to pray a prayer. And those of you who are responding to accept Christ, I want you to pray this prayer as if you're the only person praying. Just you and Jesus because he's listening to you. But we're going to all join in, okay, with you in this prayer. And say this. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins, was buried and conquered death. And Jesus, I receive you as my Savior, and you are my Lord. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I surrender to you. Cleanse my soul and help me to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, those of you who prayed that prayer, in a moment we're going to receive the offering. If you have your connection card, mark the spot, put your name and information, and mark the spot that says, I received Christ. And if it, the, the bucket comes along too soon, then just place it in one of the boxes before you leave. And we do have a table over here. There'll be somebody there if you want to just uh, pray with you and help you get started in your walk with God. And can I just pray for all of us on this one? I want to pray for new, just a new 
just a new uh, confidence in Christ. God wants to do something new in all of us, and I believe that. A new season, a new beginning in our life. Some of us, we, we recognize, I don't know why, things happen this way. And some people, some of our lives, we've, we've just kind of, we used to be courageous. What happened? God hasn't changed. He hasn't. And we still are overcomers. Let's start standing up for our faith in Jesus. Amen. Father, I pray this for each and every one. That, Lord, we, will, we, we, we walk in, Lord, we receive the power from the Holy Spirit into our lives to stand strong for you, God. To be courageous, Lord. Lord, for your word and your truth. Lord, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Lord, we determine by your grace, Lord, to defeat the enemy wherever, wherever we have to confront it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, two things and then we're gonna, we're gonna have hot dogs wrapped in bacon. <laughs> yeah, two things. Um, the, uh, the, the ushers are handing out the offering bucket. We're gonna worship the Lord with our gifts. The worship team's coming up and, uh, and then we're going to baptize a few people and I think it's worth holding on and celebrating with these people who are coming out and declaring Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So let's do that. Let's lift our voices in worship as well and, uh, and let's glorify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.